Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to everyone watching online today. So great to have you with us today. Uh, I'd just like to begin with an announcement. Next Sunday, uh, I want to take a break from our series, and we're going to do a special message. I want to address the war in Israel. And uh, I'd like to give a, a biblical perspective of what's happening in Israel and why it's happening. Uh, I want to talk about the role of, of the war in Israel as far as end times prophecy goes. Okay, and I also want to talk about what this war means for us as the church, as the body of Christ. What should our response be to what's happening in Israel right now? And, uh, and then, after that, I'd like us to, to take some time next week, and as, as a church body, we're going we're gonna to pray for Israel. Does that sound okay? And so I'd really appreciate um, for you to pray for that, for that service, for that message, for me. Uh, that would be fantastic. All right, well, we're currently in a series here about the holy fear of God. And uh, this is actually the fifth message now in this series. And uh, each, each message I give a, a, a definition of holy fear. And so I thought instead of me doing that today, I thought maybe I'd invite one of you to come and do that today. So if, if one of you could come and give a, a good definition of holy fear, I've got, a, I've got a Tim Hortons card here for you. Anywhere from $5 to $500, you're not going to know. <laughs> You're not going to know until you use it, but, uh, but if, you're, if you are going to come and give a definition, you can't just give a one-word definition. You've got to help us understand what is holy fear and what it isn't. Does that sound good? Who's thirsty? Who's thirsty? Who's coming up? Give a definition of holy fear. Oh, Stacy's just teasing us. She's just... Stood up and started walking away. So not Stacy. Come and give a definition. I'm sure you're going to do it right. I'm sure you're going to do well. Please help me to feel good that I've preached my heart out for four weeks and, and you've been listening. Sherry, there you go. Let's give it up for Sherry. I have a really bad memory, so I brought my notes. And I always make notes, so I pay attention. Um, healthy, okay, holy fear is, uh, number one, healthy fear brings us closer to God. It's a reverent fear, so it's respectful. Mm -hmm. um, um, loves what God loves and hates what God hates. Yeah. Um, manifests the presence of God. So you have a feeling of sense or a sense of presence of God. Mm -hmm. It increases um, as we behold him in his glory. Yes. Um... Doing great. All right. Why don't um, you tell us, Sherry, what's one thing that it's not? Um, hypocrisy and judgment is one oh, yeah, well, thing that yeah, I definitely not here. that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you you already touched on it. You said holy fear oh. draws us near to God. It doesn't bring us away from God. Right. That's right. Holy fear does not drive us away. It mm -hmm. brings us near. That's right. So it's not being afraid. Right, but it draws us near. All right, let's give it up for Sherry. That's worth a Tim Hortons there. Good job. Good job. So we've, we've been talking about how holy fear drives out the fear of man and protects us from hypocrisy, 
to the place where we seek God's approval more than we seek man's approval. Right? We've been talking about how holy fear leads us to holiness. Not just positionally in Christ, but behaviorally in that process of becoming like Jesus. That, we, that holy fear helps us to work out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. That, right? that, that holy fear motivates us to obey God's word and God's voice immediately. Even when it doesn't make sense and even when it's difficult and it involves pain. Okay, and so today we're going to talk about how holy fear is the beginning of intimacy with God. That, that in order for us to have true, real intimacy with God, we need to first have holy fear. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for today. I Thanks for, thanks for your presence today, Lord. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving on us. Thank you for, for your son. And God, now I just pray that you help us to, to hear your voice now. So I just speak against any distraction right now in Jesus' name. Anything that's going to prevent us from hearing your voice in your word today. Because no matter where we're at with you, we might not even have a relationship with you, but you have a specific word for each one of us today, no matter where we're at. And so I pray that we're going to hear that word today in Jesus' name. I pray for soft hearts and open ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 2 verse 5 says, Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. See, our knowledge of God begins with holy fear. To fear God is to know God. That word knowledge, defined by dictionary of biblical languages, says it's information of a person, but it also includes a strong implication of relationship with that person. Okay, and so simply stated, here's our first truth. The fear of the Lord is knowing God intimately. This is the starting place for intimacy with him. That word intimate that we use in, in English, that comes from two Latin words. One, one of those Latin words is within, and the other Latin word is very secret. And so when we put those two words together, uh, it's innermost secrets or innermost thoughts and desires and ways. So if we have intimacy with God, that means we should know his innermost thoughts and desires, his secrets. And because intimacy is a two-way street, that means God also then will know our innermost thoughts and desires and secrets. Does he? I think so. David came to this understanding in Psalm 39. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. That word examined means to explore, to search, to seek out. 
This is what is necessary for intimacy with God. It doesn't just happen because we have accepted him as Lord and Savior, because we have salvation. But it takes time and effort to explore and to search him and to seek him. It takes time and effort to search his innermost thoughts and ways. It's like in a marriage relationship. It takes focused efforts mentally, emotionally, and physically to grow intimate with your spouse. How many of you know a marriage certificate doesn't do that? Right? Just because you're married doesn't mean you have the fullness of intimacy. But we need to be intentional. It's the same with God. Salvation doesn't mean we have the fullness of intimacy with him. But we have to intentionally explore and search and seek the Lord. He examined us and he knows us, David said in Psalm 139. Look at Genesis chapter 4 and 1. Okay, that word know is often used to convey intimacy in the Bible. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Right? And so God uses this word know in a way to help us understand the intensity of God's search to know us. God examined you and he knows you intimately. And David describes it further in Psalm 139, verse 2 to 4. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. That is focused effort. Luke chapter 12 and verse 7 says, in fact, he even counts every hair on your head. So don't be afraid. You are worth far more than sparrows. Do you know the average person has around 100,000 hairs on their head? The, the average person, not, not everybody in this room, has 100,000 hairs. But, but this is what I thought was really interesting, that every day we lose between 50 and 100 hairs. And again, some of us have lost more than that, but that's, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to say. But, but think about that. At any given moment, at any given moment, God knows how many hairs are on your head. In order for God to do that and to know that, he has to be aware of you constantly. He has to be thinking about you constantly. Look at Psalm 139, 17 and 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Remember, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Anything in the word of God is there because God put it there. Is that true? Um, I don't know if this is scientists or mathematicians, but one of them uh, helped us to understand that in a cubic, in a cubic square foot, there is there there can be up to a billion, one billion grains of sand in a cubic square foot. So that's about here 
and about here, a cubic square foot. So depending on how pressed down the sand is, there can be up to one billion grains of sand, okay, in just a cubic square foot, a billion grains. And God says his numbers, his thoughts about us outnumber all the grains of sand. So I'm not just talking about one cubit, but just consider all the grains of sand. Consider the beaches. Consider the sand traps on the golf course. Right? Consider endless deserts. How much, how much sand is on this planet? His thoughts about you don't equal that. They outnumber that. What I'm trying to say is God is doing his part in intimacy. He searches us. He knows us. He's examined us. Right? He's fulfilled his part. But what about us? Let's look at James chapter 4 and verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Who's responsible to initiate this? Who draws first? We do. This scripture clearly tells us that we determine how close, how intimate we are going to be with God. And we know that God made the first move, didn't he? God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. He redeemed us and he cleaned us. He provided a way for us to enter in to the most holy place, to enter into his presence. We have a blood-bought right to go into the most holy place through Jesus. We can confidently draw near to God through Jesus. Jesus is now the curtain that we pass through. So God made the first move, yes? But now it's our turn. Now the ball's in our court. If we draw near to God, then he will draw near to us. You ever heard that phrase before, the ball is in our court? It, it's, a, it's like, a, I think it's a tennis term. Um, I was hoping Pastor Phil would be in here for this illustration, so I'm going to make fun of him without him here. But Pastor Phil and I, um, we, uh, we play uh, uh, some tennis together. We've played quite a bit of tennis together. And when I put the ball in his court, um, he, his response is usually to hit the ball back into the net. Or, or, or his response oftentimes Actually, he hits the ball outside of the 20-foot high fence that surrounds the court. I'll be honest with you, I've lost a lot of balls, tennis balls, playing with Pastor Phil. And quite frankly, when you put the ball into his court, you don't know what's going to happen. I'm just teasing. Um, but God has put the ball into our court. God's put intimacy on us. He's made a way for us, but now we control how close we get. So what is our response going to be? What are we going to do? Are we going to take advantage of the sacrifice 
that God made? Will we make a decision to draw near? Will we pursue him in intimacy? And you know, one of the, one of the, the, the determining factors is in whether we pursue intimacy with, with God or not is our hunger for him. If we're, if we're hungry for him, we're going to pursue him. Right? And, and just like in drawing near, we are the ones who determine our level of hunger for God, not God. Okay, we're the ones in charge of our appetites. And this is an important truth I think we need to know. We will be hungry for what we feed on. If we feed on God's word, we're going to be hungry for God's word. I promise you. If we feed on God's presence, we're going to be hungry for God's presence. The more you eat of God, the hungrier you become for him. But look at this scripture in Proverbs 27, verse 7. A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. See, that word loathe means to hate. It means you want nothing to do with it. Why would you ever hate or loathe a honeycomb? See, in, in, in biblical times, Hebrews would give their children a honeycomb for when they recited scripture. Because they wanted to remind them that the word of God is sweet to the taste. It was a reward. But when you're full of something else... You spoil your appetite and now you want, you, and now when something good is put before you like a honeycomb, you hate it. You want nothing to do with it. You're not hungry for it. Okay, it's like when, when you know your, your spouse is making an a, a awesome homemade supper at home and then just maybe an hour before you go home, you, you give in and you, you stumble and you hit that drive-through at McDonald's, and and you you eat a meal. And now when you get home, even though that delicious homemade piping hot meal is sitting before you, now what happens? You, it's like you loathe it because you're so full. You can't even look at it, right? Because you've spoiled your appetite. Do you know, we can do that with our soul. We can be so full in our soul with what we fed on in this world that we're not hungry anymore for God and his word. And if we're not hungry for him, we won't pursue intimacy with him. We won't search and explore and examine and know our God because we've spoiled our appetites. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is what are you feeding on? Are we just binging Netflix every night? Are we watching ESPN every night? Are we on social media all day long? Do you know the average time spent on social media for, for people aged 15 to 25 is 57 hours a week? That's eight hours a day on social media. Please hear me. 
If you're spending eight hours a day on social media, on worldly things in social media, you will not be hungry for God. You will not pursue him. You will not know intimacy with him. There's nothing wrong with with watching movies or, or going on social media or watching sports on TV. That's not what I'm saying. But when they start to become idols and replace our worship and, and relationship with God, then that's a problem. When those things start to distract us, when those things start to fill us up and we start to lose our hunger for God and intimacy to know our Savior, then that's a problem. Amen? Just consider this. What would the next generation look like if instead they spent eight hours a day in God's word and in God's presence? I think we'd have a generation that is not crippled with mental health issues. I think their fear and depression and anxiety in the world would be replaced with faith and courage and joy. I think we'd have a generation that is so hungry for God. We'd have a generation that has holy fear, that knows him, that would have intimacy with him. You know, Christians, we often pray, God, increase my hunger for you. I've prayed that prayer. Has anyone else prayed that prayer? What else can God do? What else can God do to increase our hunger? What else can he do? He loved us when we were sinners. He saved us from the pit. He gave us a hope and a future. He gives us victory over sin and death. What else can he do? It's not up to him. It's up to us. When we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. This is an important truth. The only way we can create and maintain hunger for God is by protecting our soul and choosing to fill it with God and his word. This is a decision that we make. And you know, this decision to hunger for God and to pursue intimacy with God through holy fear, it's so important because it protects us from making up our own God. It protects us from making up our own God. How many of you know that there's some people in the world that serve a different Jesus than the one that's in the Bible? Paul talks about this different Jesus in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach. Or a different kind of Holy Spirit than the one you received. Or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. See, there's many people in the world that believe in Jesus and believe things about Jesus that are not in the Bible. That it's actually a different Jesus. They don't have a holy fear of God or holy fear of God's word, right? And so without that holy fear, they can't have the intimacy with God and they can't 
know God fully. They can't know the real Jesus. So they often, so they serve a different Jesus than the Bible. You know, um, my hairdresser uh, is, is uh, a wonderful person. She is a wonderful person. Like she is, she's better than most, you know. And she has, um, she has a, a real faith in God. I have no doubt about that. She really loves God. But it doesn't take long in talking to her to realize that she's actually worshiping and serving a different Jesus. Okay, and, and it's, it's, it's because she doesn't have a holy fear of God and his word. And, and so this is what some people do is, is because they don't have a fear for the word of God, they'll take some things from the Bible and then they'll take some things from other books, Christian or non-Christian, They'll take some things from their friends' beliefs, and they'll take some of the cultural worldviews that we have, right? And they'll take some things from their favorite talk show, and then they take some things from social media. They even take things from greeting cards, okay? And, and what they do then is they form their own Jesus, but it's a different Jesus than the one from the Bible. And so often Christians do this too. Christians do this because they want to serve a Jesus that is convenient to their lifestyle. Are you with me? Right? So they profess Jesus so that they can live the life that they want to, but they can live the life they want to live that's not according to God's word. Aaron and Israel did this very thing. Okay? And some of you know that story when, when they made that golden calf. How many remember that story when Aaron and Israel made the golden calf? So Moses went to be with God for 40 days on the mountain. See, Moses went to be with God because he had intimacy with God. God wanted the same intimacy with Israel. He did. But they didn't want it. Do you know that Aaron was also invited up the mountain? If you read that scripture... Aaron was also invited up the mountain to be with God, to know God intimately. But he was more comfortable with people. That's a good measure of our intimacy with him. Are you more comfortable with God or are you more comfortable with people? Right? And, and Israel was quite content with Moses hearing from God and then telling them what he said. They didn't want intimacy with him. They were afraid of him. It wasn't holy fear, but it was the kind of fear that kept God at a distance, right? And so after Moses is gone for a while, they changed God into what they wanted. They told Aaron to make them Elohim, to make them God to go before them. So they reduced the image of God to a golden statue. Right? They reduced his image and they reduced his glory. So now they have a God that allows them to do whatever they want. Right? That's convenient for their lifestyle. And so once they created this reduced image, what did they do? They had a party. And they started to revel in sin and sexual morality and all the things that their flesh wanted to do. And they could do that 
because now they serve a different Jesus. Now they serve a God that, that is convenient to their lifestyle. And that's what people do today. They reduce God to an image that they can manage and they control so they can live their life any way that they want to. They want to serve a God that doesn't interfere with their lifestyle. And Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1 in verse 22 to 23. Professing to be wise, they become fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible Man. So today, people are making this knockoff Jesus like Israel tried to do in the desert, creating a knockoff God. John Bevere talks about this woman that he grew up in his church and he knew his whole life, and she was a Christian for her whole life. And she sat in his office and she said, You know, it was so great. Jesus held my hand through the entire process of aborting my baby. What Jesus is she talking about? Do you see what I'm saying? That's a different Jesus than the one of the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God who fearfully and wonderfully made that child, who gave him value and purpose and a right to fulfill that purpose. That's a different Jesus that she's referring to. The real Jesus died for us. He died so we could live, not so we could live however we want. Because if we live however we want, ultimately, ultimately that's going to lead to death. But Jesus died so that we could live in the abundance of God's truth. Hallelujah. Jesus spoke some of the most sobering words that we're ever going to hear in the word. And should absolutely instill in us holy fear. In Matthew chapter 7, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. These are some of the most sobering words in the Bible, and this is absolutely heartbreaking to me. That there's people that actually believe they're going to heaven that won't. There's no greater deception than to believe that you're in relationship with God and you're good to go. When you're not. And these people are going to meet Jesus and they're going to expect to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But instead, they're going to hear Jesus 
say, depart from me. I never knew you. Wow. See, Jesus is talking about people who lack holy fear. Jesus said, I never knew you. There was no intimacy. There was no knowledge of God. They didn't know Jesus intimately. Holy fear is the beginning of that relationship. He's describing people that serve a different Jesus, that, that live in disobedience to God's word. He's describing people who have a counterfeit salvation, who live their life according to their standards in a way that only benefits them and their lifestyle. Those who only know Jesus as Savior, but they don't know Jesus as Lord. Those who have a relationship with Jesus, but without committing to obey his word and are unrepentant of their disobedience. And then Jesus says after this, he, he further confirms who he's talking about with an illustration in, in verses 24 to 29. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But listen to this. Anyone who hears my teaching, my words, and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And here's what I want us to understand here. These houses look the same on the outside. They look good on the outside. But what was the difference? They didn't have, they had a bad, found, one had a bad foundation. And you know what? We can all look good on the outside, can't we? We can all raise our hands in worship service. We can all passionately talk about our faith. We can all serve in street ministry and feed the poor together. But what's the difference? What's going to be the difference? It's going to be a faith that's built on obedience to God. That's the difference. One that trembles at God's word. One that's working out their salvation with fear and trembling. That's the difference in standing firm in faith or crashing in faith. And so I just want to ask, I want to close by asking you this question. Are you a friend of God? You know, we, we always, or we, sorry, we often um, associate friendship with God, with salvation, which I, I think is true. There, certainly that is true. There's a level of friendship with God and salvation. But, but salvation actually makes you a child of God. Holy fear makes you a friend of God. Psalm 25, 14 says, The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Look at the New King James Version. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. See, holy fear 
teaches us intimate knowledge of God and his word. And God will share his innermost thoughts and desires with those who fear him with his friends. Okay, and a perfect example of this in the Bible is Abraham and Lot. How many of you are familiar with Abraham and Lot? Right? And so Lot was called a righteous man. Do you know how we would call that today? We'd call Lot a Christian. He was a righteous man. Okay? But Abraham was called what? He was called a friend of God because of his obedient faith. And last week we looked at how holy fear made him have obedient faith immediately, even when it didn't make sense, even though it was very difficult. But that holy fear made Abraham a friend of God. So Lot was living in Sodom with his family, and he was completely oblivious that God was about to destroy Sodom. Completely oblivious. He was living and thinking and doing just like everyone else, just like all the unbelievers. He had no idea what was about to happen. He was a righteous man. He was a Christian. But Abraham knew the secrets of God. God shared his innermost thoughts and desires with Abraham because he was a friend of God. He had intimacy with the Father. This is the difference between a Christian that seeks and examines and explores and searches for God and one that is content to just go to heaven. Holy fear brings us to intimacy with him so we can know his innermost thoughts and desires so we can serve and worship and know the real Jesus. How many of you know the real Jesus this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to invite our worship team forward at this time. as they're getting settled and prepared. I, I, I want to give everyone in this room an opportunity to be friends with God. And so it's possible that, that you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with God through his son. It's possible maybe that you're here and, and you've you know, you lived a good life and tried to be a good person and you went to church with your parents and, and, and you felt like you were in good relationship with God, but, but maybe now there's, there's a pull, there's a, a woo in your heart that's saying, I don't know, you don't know me, but I want, I want to know you. And, and so that's the Holy Spirit, that God's, that's God's woo, that's his, that's his pull. And so I'm just going to invite everyone just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And 
And so if that's you here today where you're just not sure, you're just not sure if you are actually in relationship with God through his son, through Jesus. But you want to be sure. You want to you come into relationship with him. You want to be that friend of God. I'm just going to invite you just to, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just invite you just to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Awesome. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that. I see those hands. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You can put those hands down. And, and if you raised your hand this morning, I'm going to invite you just to pray this prayer with me. And, uh, and <clears throat> you don't have to say it out loud, but just say it in your heart and, and say it in your mind. And God hears you. God knows your heart. right now that if we seek him we will find him forgive me Lord for my sin I receive the sacrifice of the cross and I believe right now that the blood of Jesus cleans me on the inside that I'm forgiven and I'm free in Jesus of my days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one last song here, and when we do, I just ask that you respond. Respond to what the Holy Spirit is talking to you about today. Do you know the real Jesus? Is he Lord of your life? Is your faith built on a foundation of obedience? Do you hunger for God? Do you pursue intimacy with Him? Or are you too full of the world? Let's respond. Maybe we need to repent of some things today. Maybe we need to make a decision that we're going to pursue Jesus. That we're going to get hungry by feeding on God and His Word. Amen. Respond to the voice of the Lord today.